You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And I want to make one other announcement that um, after immediately following our worship service today, we're going to also have our City Church Basics. And this is a class for people who are new to the church and are interested in learning more about who we are, why we do the things we do, the denomination that we're a part of, and it's a prerequisite for membership in the church. So even if uh, you're just hearing about this today, um, you're welcome to come. We'll have some food, we'll have dinner together, and we'll spend uh, a couple hours talking through who we are as a church and would love for you to participate in that. It's going to be upstairs in room 300. All right, so uh, later this week, I'm going to be uh, driving my son up to college on Thursday. He's going to college up in Massachusetts. And um, that's obviously filled with uh, emotion and excitement for our family. And uh, it's also caused me to sort of get nostalgic, not just about um, our years with Reed growing up, but also about uh, the time that I was dropped off at college. And I was thinking this week about uh, what I did my freshman year. I know a lot of schools have different programs before classes start for incoming freshmen to get to know one another. And, and I did that when I went to college. I did this program called Urban Action, which was basically a four or five day service project that we did in inner city Philadelphia. And did that with about 10 other uh, incoming freshmen, had a, a pretty good experience doing that overall. But I, I remember this, this one morning, it was towards the end of the week, and the, the upperclassmen who are leading this trip, they had planned uh, a, a, an early morning trip to go uh, to the Jersey Shore to watch the sunrise. And uh, I didn't like this idea because I wanted to sleep. And they woke us up while it was still dark, and I uh, was, was kind of protesting, grumbling the whole time. And they had like a 12-passenger van or 15-passenger van. And I, I literally got in the way back of that van and lay down and slept on the drive to the Jersey Shore. We got to the beach. I didn't even get out of the van because I was still protesting. And I, I didn't participate in the sunrise because I'm a loser. Um, I was thinking about it because essentially what I was saying was I'll go, but I'm not going to have fun. I'll go, but I'm not going to participate in what everyone else is doing. And probably as I tell that story, you can identify a time in your life where you did the same thing. And actually, we're, we're going to look at a passage today in the Bible where people say this to Jesus, a version of this to Jesus. They say to Jesus, I'll follow you, but dot, dot, dot. I'll follow, but dot, dot, dot. And what I want us to do today is think about the places in our lives where we're doing the exact same thing. 
So we've been in this series in the book of Luke, chapter 7 through 9, and we're going to finish Luke 9 today. So um, if you have a Bible, open up to Luke 9, or you can follow along in the worship guide. The the words are printed there as well. I'm going to read verses um, 51 through 62 for us. Here's what it says. When the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... Let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we acknowledge that each of us comes into this space feeling differently today. Certainly there are many in this room whose minds are racing ahead towards tomorrow and the first day of school or the first day of work or the anxiety of sending kids off to a new teacher, a new school, a new environment. There are others who carry with them deep pain and sadness and loneliness. There are others who come in um, feeling excited and energized about a new project at work, a new relationship. And Father, it's okay for each of us to come differently today because you are a God who can meet each of us where we are. And we pray that in these next few minutes you would do just that through your word. And I pray especially that you would help us to think deeply about what it means to follow you. The excuses that we have that keep us from following you and the grace that you have that calls us into faithfulness and obedience. Please be present by your spirit. Guide us in the truth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout this series here at City Church, we've been asking a couple of questions. We've been asking, who is Jesus? And then, what is our response to who Jesus is? And lately, we've uh, seen various responses to Jesus and who he is, especially in the disciples, his followers. And here's the thing about his disciples, they keep getting it wrong. Their response is wrong. And their response to Jesus is tied back to that first question, who is Jesus? You see, they respond to Jesus incorrectly because their understanding of who Jesus is incorrect, or it's not fully developed. And again, we see that in the, in the verses that I just read that are before us this afternoon. This first section, verses 51 through 56, what we have are James and John who want to call down fire from heaven to consume people. 
And Jesus, when he hears this, he rebukes them. Rebuking is what Jesus did to evil spirits, to demons. And he says that to James and John, to his disciples, because they've missed who he is. They've gotten it wrong. The way that they are trying to follow after Jesus isn't the right way of following. And then in the second paragraph, the one that we're going to focus on today, verses 57 through 62, we have three additional interactions. And here we have unidentified disciples, each of whom says, I will follow you, Jesus. But then they attach conditions to how they will follow. And what this reveals, what it betrays, is that they are getting Jesus wrong too. Their response is incorrect because their understanding of who Jesus is is incorrect. They say, I'll follow, but... Dot, dot, dot. And as I read through these verses, I realized that that is precisely the cry of my, car, my heart too. I'll follow you, Jesus, but... Here are the conditions. Here are the excuses. So I, I realize up front that this is a hard message to hear. But I pray that your mind and your heart will be open to what God has for you through his word this afternoon. Here are the, the three buts that these disciples add. They say, I'll follow, but what about my comfort? They say, I'll follow, but what about my family? And they say, I'll follow, but what about the rest of my life? Which of those resonates with you? Let me start with the first one. I'll follow, but what about my comfort? This comes from verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, this statement, it doesn't have uh, an explicit but attached to it. But Jesus, being Jesus, knows that there's an implicit but buried within this statement. There's a qualifier there. The, the implicit qualifier is essentially this. Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you, but where will, be, where will we be staying? Could you tell me a little bit about the accommodations? Could I see some pictures of the Airbnb before I say, I'll follow along? And Jesus responds in verse 58, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, this first disciple who wants to follow says, I'll follow, but where are we going? And Jesus says, there is nowhere there. There's nowhere. My call for you to follow isn't to a destination. It isn't to a place. I can't describe it for you because you're going to follow in my footsteps. Jesus here is, is mapping out a different sort of discipleship. But it's a discipleship that we're familiar with if we've read the rest of the Bible. Because Abraham, that first paragon of faith who was called by God, was called, we're told in Hebrews, to go out not knowing where he was going. That is the call of faith. It was for Abraham and it is after Jesus too. It's the very same call that came to the whole nation of Israel as well as they were called to wander in the desert 
for 400 years. There is no where. For Israel that was called into exile, not having homes of their own, but still called to be faithful, following after Yahweh. What does it sound like today? I'll follow, but what about my comfort? That's what it sounds like. Where are we going, Jesus? I want to know ahead of time what it's going to involve. If 21 years of marriage has taught me anything, it's that on vacation with my wife, comfort is important. She does want to see, rightly, pictures of the Airbnb. She's learned the hard way from some of the first vacations we took. But what makes sense and what is perfectly valid when it comes to vacations can't be applied to following after Jesus. I think in the modern West where we all live, our idolatry of comfort is constant. In fact, the pursuit of comfort in many ways is the telos of the American dream. That's what we're striving for. That's why we work hard. That's why we want to grow in our career, is to insulate our lives with more and more comfort. And I am not immune. The, the thoughts that go through my mind are, well, I've worked long enough in ministry. I've been a pastor for long enough that uh, I should be comfortable. A comfortable home, a comfortable salary, a comfortable life, comfortable job responsibilities. Do you hear that in your mind as well? It's all well and good. It just simply is not the message of Jesus. Never has been. It never has been the message of Jesus. In fact, the idolatry of comfort will always be in conflict with following after Jesus. Dale Bruner is a, a Bible scholar and he puts it this way, debility creeps into the church when she sees her tasks as mainly that of comfort. Now, let me anticipate maybe uh, uh, some pushback. Or what you might be thinking in your head, you say, Eric, what are you talking about? The gospel is a message of comfort, isn't it? I mean, you could quote Isaiah 40 at me. It says, comfort, comfort, ye my people. Isn't the gospel, isn't, isn't the very message of the good news of Christianity one of comfort? Absolutely yes. Absolutely. But it's an eschatological comfort. That means it's a comfort that comes when we get to heaven. It is about blessing and joy in abundance on that day. But in this life, as it was for Jesus, the gospel means the way of the cross, the way of suffering, the way of discomfort. And, and that's why even in these verses I read, there's, there, there are little hints of it. It says a couple of times that Jesus had set his face to Jerusalem why does that matter? Why would Luke put that in this section? Well, what happens in Jerusalem, friends? In Jerusalem, Jesus dies on a cross outside the city. Right? Luke is prepping us for the discomfort, for the suffering, for the ultimate death of Jesus Christ. 
So that when we say, I'll follow you, but what about my comfort? We will be challenged. That's the first disciple. The second disciple in this story says, I'll follow, but what about my family? This comes in verse 59 as the next person comes to Jesus. Jesus says to him, follow me, but he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That seems like a most reasonable request, doesn't it? It does. And our excuses for not following after Jesus will always sound reasonable. We're good at it. We're good at finding reasons that sound good to a friend or to a family member of why we will not follow in the way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Fourteen years ago, when I uh, took this job at City Church, I was working at another church in the Richmond area out in the suburbs. And I'll never forget that one of my friends said to me when he heard I was taking this job, he asked, but what about your kids? Because he knew the schools in the city weren't as good as they were in the suburbs. He knew the challenges of living in the city and raising three kids in the city. What about your kids? What about my kids? Why would it ever be a bad thing for my kids if I am faithful to the call of God on my life? How could that ever be bad for them? You know, Jennifer Murphy, uh, uh, who read our scripture today, puts this really well. Her husband is one of the elders of the church. And, and um, someone asked her recently and said, well, what's it like for your family to have your husband serve the church and be an elder and have to attend these meetings and do this different work for the church? And she said, it's fantastic because I get to tell my kids that their dad loves the church and he gets to help other people love Jesus. What about your kids? If you are following after Jesus, that is the best thing that you can do for your kids. Now, Jesus' answer in this, in this passage is shocking, isn't it? He says, leave the dead to bury the dead. And we think, well, what about the fourth commandment? Isn't it, uh, doesn't it say to honor your father and mother? What's going on? Well, what Jesus is doing is he's pointing out the excuse that this would-be disciple has. It's a matter of priority. It's not a matter of uh, disregarding family, but it's a matter of prioritizing Jesus and his mission, the mission of the kingdom over everything else. But once again, this is shocking to our ears. It is shocking to us right now because of the idolatry of the family. It conflicts with the message of Jesus' kingdom and the urgency of his kingdom. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus' mission, following after him, is to proclaim the kingdom. And this is nothing new for us as we've worked our way through Luke's gospel. Again and again, we see the priority of proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's right there at the beginning of chapter 9. It says that he sends out the disciples and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal 
Jesus is consistent from first to last. And he says, the most important thing about your life, if you are a follower of mine, is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he says quite, quite simply that the call of this kingdom overrides all earthly loyalty. What does this sound like today? It, it sounds something like this. I'll follow Jesus once work settles down a little bit. I'll follow you once I'm married. I'll follow once the kids are just a little bit older. And what happens for most of us is the horizon of our following just gets pushed a little bit further out of reach. But the following never comes. And our faith is either something that happened in the past or something that we promise will happen in the future, but it isn't present tense. And following after Jesus is meant to be present tense. These are serious words from Jesus. He is not mincing words. He is, he is not soft-pedaling this message. He says, of this priority towards family, he says, leave the dead to bury their dead. He says, compared to me, that is death. It is dying. It is passing away. But me, I am life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And everything else pales in comparison to me. You want life? Follow me. Follow me. I'll follow, but what about my comfort? I'll follow, but what about my family? And then the third unnamed disciple that we see in this passage says, essentially, I'll follow, but what about the rest of my life? It says in verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first, in that priority word, let me first say farewell to those at my home. This is a transla translated for today. It's, I'll follow, but I need time to say goodbye to the rest of my life. As some of you in this room know personally what it means to count the cost. Because you already have had to say goodbye to your family. You kind of had to do this immediately. Maybe you're the only one in your family who believes in Jesus Christ. And, and that moment that you believe, that you put your trust in Jesus, it created this divide where you said goodbye, in some ways, to your family. Or you have a spouse who doesn't believe, and each day you go to church, each time that you persevere with faith, you're feeling that tension. Jesus says, he responds, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Where in your life are you looking back over your shoulder? You're sort of saying, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but uh, there's something back there. There's something in my earlier life, or there's something else in my life right now, and it looks pretty good. I think maybe I want to go back to that. Maybe I can hedge my bets, and Jesus won't notice if I continue to dabble in that other thing. You know, when I first uh, followed after Jesus, when I was in high school, some relationships ended the moment I put my trust in Jesus. I knew I couldn't go back to those relationships. In college, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I didn't drink a single time. 
I don't say that so that you'll look at me as though I'm some great person. I say that because I made a decision to say no to what the world says yes to. And still today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is germane. It comes up over and over again. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, so in the workplace, I'm not going to gossip about another person. I'm not going to badmouth another person when the conversation turns to talk about them. Do we have that level of commitment in our following? But this is so hard because it confronts another idolatry of our age. It's the idolatry of expressive individualism. Well, what does that mean? That means it's the idolatry of always being in control of our lives. I get to do what I most want to do. No, you don't if you're following Jesus. The rules have changed. So it might show up here today and say, I'll follow you, Jesus, but I stayed up way too late last night. So I can't read my Bible. I can't pray. I can't show up at my small group. Or I'll follow you, Jesus, but you know what? My team kicks off at 4 p.m. next week. Right? All these little ways that we want to be in control of our lives doesn't work that way with Jesus. We have to stop acting as though something behind us is better than what Jesus has before us. And quite frankly, I think often the church, often I, have made this possible for you. Because I've soft-pedaled the gospel. I've soft-pedaled this very message, and I've said, oh, if you could just get a, give a little bit here or there, that would be perfect. No, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. I will follow. No buts, no ands, no ifs. I will follow. Friends, this is a hard message. I hope you feel it. I hope you've listened well enough to feel the tension. I feel the tension in saying these things to you. But here's the question. How do we do this? Right? What, what has to happen is we have to, uh, we, we have to change from saying, I'll follow but, to I'll follow because. We have to see the reason. We have to see the because. Why would we follow? Knowing that it's going to uh, take away our comfort. Knowing that it's going to cost us our families in in the world's way. Knowing that uh, we're going to leave the rest of our life to follow after Jesus Christ. How? Why would we ever do that? Simply because we have seen the glory of the risen Christ. That's what this whole sermon series has been about. Who is Jesus? Look and see him. What what we sang about in the first part of this service, it was littered with these descriptions of who Jesus Christ is. And if you get that, if that sinks down into the level of your heart, you will say, I will follow because you are everything. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the one who died for my sin. You are the resurrection and my hope of heaven, of being restored, of my body being redeemed, of all things being made new. The world can never give that, but you, Jesus, can. In fact, you have. 
and I'll follow wherever you call. Wherever you go, I will follow. It won't make sense. It won't make sense without that. What has to happen for every single one of us is that grace must interrupt our butts. All the reasons that we have for not following, they must be interrupted by the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, a few weeks ago, Harrison preached this passage of the Transfiguration where several of these very disciples, James, John, and Peter, they went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw the glory of Christ, uh, the glory of God shining around Jesus Christ. And it says that the glory of God overshadowed them. That's what has to happen to us. Have you been overshadowed by the grace of Jesus Christ, by his mercy, by his love, by the peace that he brings, by the comfort that will be yours one day? If that has happened, you will say along with me, I will follow because you're the only way. You're the only way. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, I pray for my friends, some of whom I know, some I've never met today. I I pray that you would overshadow all of us with your grace, that you would interrupt our hearts that reach and grasp after these excuses and instead make us willing to follow you wherever you call, wherever you lead, that we would step out, not knowing where we're going, but knowing that we follow the one who has the words of life. The one who speaks comfort to the weary. The one who heals the wounded. The one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The great God Almighty. God in human flesh, come for us. Oh, let us again today behold the wondrous mystery of this Jesus. Full of all power and authority. And yet somehow, mysteriously also full of compassion on broken sinners like us. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, let us see you for who you truly are so that we might follow wherever you call. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.